the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I am Headmaster and host Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280 The Patriot. And, of course, I'm joined in studio once again by Mark Durkin, my wonderful producer of Education Nation and co-host. Nice to see you again, Rebecca. Yes, great to see you again, too, Mm -hmm. Mark. Thanks. Well, um, last week we started this topic, and we're going to bring it up again here this week. For three months, America has been paralyzed by the hysteria surrounding COVID-19. Here in Minnesota, after months of extending shutdowns of schools, businesses deemed non-essential in churches, an additional and more volatile crisis engulfed the Twin Cities and has spread to the rest of the country. The murder of a handcuffed, unarmed man named George Floyd under the knee of a Minneapolis police officer soon resulted in citywide riots, and as thousands gathered to peacefully protest, many others chose to set fires and loot hundreds of businesses, most of which were already hurting economically from the COVID virus. That's right, Rebecca. In fact, with the mass gatherings, of course, on the streets of Minneapolis amongst the peaceful protesters and amongst those, too, that were looting and choosing to riot, uh, social distancing standards were quickly forgotten about. In fact, they really shrunk in importance and We know that there's been a great divide also in terms of the usefulness of wearing masks in public. We know that's a mandate in the city of Minneapolis from Mayor Jacob Fry uh, prior to, of course, all of the civil unrest that started taking place. And city and state leaders, they're trying to remind protesters to wear masks and practice social distancing. And the calls, for the most part, they are going ignored. But we can't be ignored, of course, as the virus continues to plague the elderly and those with comorbidities. And we'll just recite some numbers again uh, that were up to date as of June 2nd. And the total number of COVID-related deaths was at 1,072 persons. And of that number, 866 deaths are cases that resided in long-term care and assisted living facilities. Mm -hmm. So what does this tell us? It tells us that the percentage of those that are dying are well over the age of 70. It's at 82%. And Minnesota is a state that's boasting a population of more than five and a half million people. Mm-hmm, exactly. As we see the restoration of law and order in the Twin Cities, um, how will Minnesotans respond to the ongoing restrictions on our freedoms even after our economy has crashed? What will be the consequences for businesses across the state that still can't function at full capacity? And how do we move forward and counter the fears perpetrated by an overreaching government? Well, joining us by phone to help shed light on these questions and more is regular contributor Catherine Kirsten. 
Catherine is a writer and an attorney, a senior policy fellow and founding director at the Center of the American Experiment, having also served as its chair from 1996 to 1998. Catherine has also served as a Metro columnist for the Star Tribune from 2005 to 2008, and before that was an opinion columnist for the paper for 17 years. Catherine, it's an honor to have you join us once again tonight on Education Thank Nation. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Wonderful. Catherine, let's pick up a little bit. Uh, we did touch last week a little bit about the irrational uh, panic, uh, the fear, the the uh, the willingness to trust what our governing authorities are putting forth without really uh, investigation, inspection. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that irrational panic that is plaguing many Minnesotans' tendency to defer unquestionably to the government's shutdown dictates. Right. Well, uh, I think uh, you can see the the irrational nature of the panic into which people have been thrown by comparison, uh, comparing a uh, number in a Harris poll uh, with uh, reality. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the... Harris poll in March that found that 57% of millennials uh, expressed fear that they would die of the coronavirus. Mm. Uh, In fact, uh, their risk of death is extremely low. Mm -hmm. Uh, The COVID-19 death rate for people uh, who are 18 to 45 in New York City, which, of course, is the the epicenter in America Mm -hmm. of the pandemic, is only 0.01%. Yeah. It was something mm-hmm. like 14 out of 100,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <clears throat> people, uh, millennials in particular, close to, what, two-thirds of millennials were afraid they would die of the virus. It it just gives a sense for the tremendous yeah. gap mm-hmm. uh, between um, uh, fantasy and reality on this. Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, we talk about this irrational panic that has produced what you have termed a gross distortion of the threat's real nature. We've talked about this over and over again. Mm -hmm. Share with Mm -hmm. our listeners just, um, I mean, you mentioned New York at Mm 0.01%. What are we looking Mm -hmm. at here in the state of Minnesota in terms of exaggeration? Um, Well, uh, we we talked last week about the fact that the Governor Waltz's original mathematical model projected uh, that... 74,000 Minnesotans would die of COVID uh, without his economic shutdown and social distancing, mm-hmm. and 50 to 55,000 even with it. Now, uh, of course, we we pointed out that that's that's uh, turned out to be uh, way off, completely absurd, mm-hmm. way off. Um, uh, so there was a significant modification uh, to the model. Uh, nevertheless, if you if you look at uh, the, the the current model being used, you see that uh, it it uh, was projecting that we would have four hundred thousand cases, reported cases of COVID through May. We actually had twenty six thousand. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. it's possible, of course, since we know that most people who who do have uh, do get the virus are completely asymptomatic yes. mm-hmm. and many have uh, I'm talking about potentially as many as 90 percent don't even know when they get it that they have it and I mm-hmm. say that because uh, all the all the workers at the JBS uh, pork processing plant in Worthington mm-hmm. were tested and um, 
uh, of those who did uh, come back positive for the virus, more than 90 percent were asymptomatic, which is similar to mm. other similar kinds of of testing of full uh, working populations in other parts of the country. In in the four states that have tested yes. their entire uh, prison populations, Reuters says that 96 percent of prisoners who were positive did not uh, were, were asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. So uh, that the point here is uh, that uh, the governor's model is is way off uh, mm-hmm. in, in the way that they have assessed the asymptomatic mm-hmm. rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition, the governor's model said that uh, what by uh, by the end of May uh, there would be 119 people under the age of 49 who died of, of COVID. And, and bear in mind, almost everybody who does, who gets it and dies, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, uh, does have a serious uh, comorbidity. Mm-hmm. But, in, but, but the number of those uh, who have died under the age of 49 is only 18 mm-hmm. uh, to, 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 by the end of May, not mm-hmm. 190. So those right. are the, that's, that gives you an idea of the, how far off even right. this greatly modified model yeah. is. Wow. And that is, again, it's frustrating because that sets the tone for the fear. When people aren't, you know, when they're not getting the real facts on this, um, the fear continues to grow. Even the fact that people, you know, if 90 and 96% of people are asymptomatic, while I understand that they can infect somebody who is vulnerable and has a comorbidity and that they need to be protecting themselves if they do have comorbidities, we should be celebrating the fact that 96 or 90% of people don't show symptoms because that shows that not that many people really do get the full on illness. I mean, we've been talking about fatality rates. I think that the percentage that actually end up with serious illness is only about 10% of all those who get COVID-19 is what I find. And those are the people we know have it. Who right, actually right. exactly. Versus all the other Right. And the reason this is important, as you suggest, Rebecca, is that it it must be entered into this cost benefit calculus. Exactly. Are we going to destroy half of the hospitality businesses in Minnesota Mm -hmm. uh, when this is the kind of of uh, danger that is is presented? If you look at the Spanish flu, Mm -hmm. which was a true dangerous pandemic uh, 1918-19, you find that, what, over 660,000 Americans died Mm -hmm. in a population that was only 99 million. And we're, what, Mm -hmm. today, 320, 300, something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was people of all ages who died. And here we know that the median ages is 83. So it's important because it figures into the cost-benefit analysis that hasn't been done. Yes. And our listeners need to know this, too, because keep these numbers in mind, because when the fall comes in with other respiratory illnesses Mm -hmm. that are going to be emerging back on the scene Mm -hmm. and with the flu as well, we want to make sure that our listeners aren't caving into the fear to think that, oh, it must be COVID. This must be a COVID manifestation, mm -hmm. when in reality it it could be bronchitis or Mm -hmm. it could be pneumonia or it could be the flu or so many other things. And you would hate to see people have to then sit home for two weeks from either work or school uh, thinking they have COVID when in reality they don't. Right, right. Right. And that's the concern. Honestly, that is the concern. And um, as, as Catherine pointed out at the very beginning of our last show, 
There's no guarantee there will be a vaccine. That's right. There's still no HIV Never. vaccine, by the way. <laughs> so, right. you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of diseases that do not have vaccines yet. And people and, need to know that there is contract trace contact tracing, of course, which is a whole other can of worms right. that yep. people need to be concerned about if they were to even consider wanting to take a vaccine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, anyway, we're going to get back on to, we, we get off a little <laughs> bit here, but <laughs> so, um, Catherine, you have written about the fact that the fear on the part of the politicians, which is preventing a truthful accounting is in some respects, a more troubling matter. And for those who may not remember, you can remind our listeners, which I guess you've kind of done that as we've talked about this, um, you know, but remind our listeners what Do- uh, Governor Walls has sought to achieve during the initial shutdown yeah. and then what the narrative became after the goal was achieved. Yes. And I think I'm so glad you brought that up, Rebecca, uh, because it does affect the answer we give to the question about the corruption, the attraction and corruption of power, especially mm-hmm. power that becomes increasingly unaccountable. So uh, we, we should remember that the original justification for what, wasn't it just a two-week shutdown in, in March 17th or something, um, was that we needed this time to flatten the curve. Uh, we needed the, the, this time to make sure that hospitals wouldn't be overwhelmed when the, you know, quote, surge came, that they had the number of ventilators and masks and, and all that they needed to prevent uh, being overwhelmed. And of course, that, uh, that, that objective has been achieved. Uh, but after it was achieved, we found that the orders uh, continued. And now uh, we, we still uh, have no end date in, in sight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the reasons then he just keeps moving the goalposts, um, yep. which is just yep. so astounding to me, you know, kind of harkens back to our conversation last week, too. Um, well, you mentioned also, Catherine, that the one-size-fits-all economic shutdown is a problem. Um, it's ended up affecting more than 600,000 Minnesotans. Just how far did the shutdown re- reach? And tell us about the dire crisis facing the hospitality industry across the state. Yes, well, um, of course, it's it's reached uh, throughout the entire state of of Minnesota, uh, including um, two counties that uh, the last I looked had no had no reported cases at all. Mm-hmm. All of these places, uh, the little main streets, uh, uh, which, as you've said, Rebecca, are are uh, aligned with small uh, family owned businesses, all of them have been shut down as if they're in downtown Minneapolis right. uh, with no no uh, attempt to, to be nuanced in, in you know, actually responding to right. uh, the tremendous difference in conditions um, mm-hmm. between uh, the, the small towns of Minnesota uh, and, and uh, the largest cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, there's just uh, there's devastation that that follows, uh, as you pointed out, uh, when it comes to hairstylists or mm-hmm. or yeah. restaurants. Yeah. I actually went to a restaurant last night uh, on the first night, so one of the two first nights when they could be open, um, sitting outside, and of course it, it pours rain. Oh, exactly. And, uh, you know what, what did you do? But well, we you know we we had to leave, but but this this shows oh. that um, 
that that the, these orders supposedly uh, based on careful uh, consultation with experts have no connection to reality, right. the kinds of business realities that that small small business owners have to deal with. Exactly. So you really, they, they won't even let you go in when it rains. So you had to leave your food behind and... Well, you know, it's, it's, it's just an example of how completely detached from reality yeah. Um, yeah. Our, our decision makers are. Okay, I'm thinking about a tiny little detail. How do, how do you pay in that circumstance if you have to leave? <laughs> good, good question. That's a... That's Excellent question. You know, it's uh talk about dine and dash. I can have all kinds of people dining and dashing at the first hint of rain. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. Oh, sad. Well, we've talked about the different goalposts that have been moved uh through this whole process. And we're also told that testing will help in identifying, isolating, and contact tracing. That's been one of the governor's uh, uh phrases here in, in terms of the steps being taken, which are being said to be crucial before the uh, uh, the economy can fully reopen. What are the ramifications of implementing contact tracing when it comes to considering the constitutional rights of Minnesotans and for Americans across the country? Yeah, um, well, that is a, an excellent question, and uh, I think a very a very complex question. From what I have read this approach uh, can be successful uh, and has been t- to a good extent in places like Taiwan, where uh, there, there was a previous experience with SARS and uh, immediately jumping on uh, the disease when it appears. When you have a small number of, of people, you can, you know, you can, you can actually um, restrict the apparently the spread of the disease um, in a way that can be pretty effective, but that's just not at all the case here. It's so widespread uh, that it, it seems to be hopeless. Now, it, I think it, it can make sense to, to um, test uh, random groups of, of people in the population to see what is the rate of infection, what is mm-hmm. the actual rate of mortality from this disease. I mean, the kind of thing that you know, comes out of the, the JBS pork processing plant mm-hmm. testing in, in Worthington, you, know, you, get, you get some useful data. But um, I, I've actually been told, now I, I don't know that this is true, but that uh, uh, a neighboring state has suggested using um, a, a phone app that, that essentially tracks where you go. Ugh. And then if you do uh, have COVID, it will, it will reveal you know, where you've been so that you can oh. then uh, review the people you saw there. I mean, it, it, as, as you say, Mark, that there are some, some very, very concerning um, yeah. uh, implications to, to the government uh, essentially tracking our, uh, our, our movements. I, I have read in the Wall Street Journal about uh, offices, I'm sure in you know, larger companies, where um, people's movements can be can be sensed. Now, this is made clear that you know, this isn't actually filming people's faces, right. but people are congregating in this 
part of the office. People are getting too close in that part oh of the office. Oh, so what And yeah. then what happens is some loudspeaker come on and say, get six feet apart, get six feet apart. With a drone overhead. <laughs> right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, really, the, the implication, especially for those who've read... Um, uh, uh, 1984, Brave New yes, World. Yes. Uh, these dystopian yeah. um, sort of science fiction. Uh, or you look at social credits uh, in in China, yeah. where you know, they know who is putting. I've literally read this again in the Wall Street Journal. The government can, knows because you have to use your phone or something mm-hmm. to get into a dumpster uh, and you put your trash. They they know who wow. is. Wow. Don't think what to, whether you got the proper whatever recycling. Oh you know, goodness. that kind of that kind of thing. I think that's what we all need to be very much aware of and, and concerned about. Yes, absolutely. Well, I do know that they are requiring reservations everywhere. Even if you're walking up, they are required to write down I actually learned that from a restaurant that I am going mm-hmm. to that I contacted and and, you know, he said, yeah, for the contact tracing. So it's already happening here that they are required uh-huh. to take information down. Uh-huh. And I understand that um, I know of at least one church that has been told, yes. they've told their parishioners that they have to, re- they make reservations to come to church. And I'm assuming oh, that yeah. that contact has been required tracing. by the state, I'm assuming. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So I, it's something we definitely need to keep an eye on. Well, how likely do you think all these strategies that the state has in mind is really going to be effective to reduce the spread of coronavirus? Oh, well, you know, I, I, I've certainly read, uh, for what it's worth, that we're seeing as we look internationally that it may well be the case that uh, countries that had very strict uh, shutdown policies uh, it did not have or will likely not have any better, you know, markedly better performance here than mm-hmm. than countries that did the opposite. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. the jury's out on that, and you, you have mm-hmm. to you have to be careful in drawing comparisons between different kind different countries with right. different kinds of populations and right. uh, you know living that kind situations. of thing. Mm-hmm. living situations mm-hmm. and demographics older people for example Italy has a much older population that Correct. you know uh, other other countries let's say in the southern hemisphere but uh, there's there's also this related and interesting question of um, whether how long people are actually going to tolerate and mm-hmm. and observe uh, these extremely artificial uh, social distancing guidelines, mm-hmm. leaving aside the question of people's mental health. Right. You know, human beings are social creatures. Right. And when you're asked, to, you're told you have to stay in your in your small apartments uh, by yourself. Yeah. Uh, for t- you know, this this is causing all kinds of mental and physical health problems uh, mm-hmm. of 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 its own, but I was recently um, over in uh, eastern Minnesota near the Wisconsin border. But on on our side, it was so interesting to see how few people seem to be right, concerned. Right. <laughs> yeah, Daniel Henninger of the Wall Street Journal wrote a piece saying people will only 
tolerate so much of this. And mm-hmm. then he said, what, you know, 500,000 years of evolution will kick in. And this is so unnatural. Yeah. Um, it just isn't going to, to stick. So so the jury's out. We'll mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. Well, Wisconsin's been open for almost two weeks now, right? Yep. yep. So they mm-hmm. should be starting to get a huge spike if it's going to happen. So we'll have right. to look and, and see. And you certainly read, yeah, that mm-hmm. Texas and Wisconsin and other places that have opened before Minnesota are not so far. And so, mm-hmm. you know, so there is a spike. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you would expect. You'd expect some hear, spike. Right, 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 right. We haven't mm-hmm. talked about herd immunity, right. uh, which, you know, when there is no vaccine and still no no clear uh, and our treatment, um, it does seem that uh, it's going to be very important to to get to, to the, as close to herd immunity as you can as you can get to prevent vulnerable people from falling victim to this. Right. Absolutely. Right. I we, completely agree. And we can keep an eye, too, here in Minnesota mm-hmm. now with uh, the mass gatherings of people over the last couple of weeks in the oh, streets yeah, of Minneapolis yeah. and St. Paul. Let's see mm-hmm. what kind of a spike there is exactly. there. Exactly. That's a good point. We're going to find out. Two weeks. Here we go. <laughs> well, you know, we, we've discussed the political control that's in place to transform our way of life. I mean, it's obvious that's what's going on. And how complicit is the media, though, too, in influencing Minnesotans to comply to a propaganda that you describe as being apocalyptic? Yeah, uh, I think our our entire what what Rusty Reno, uh, editor of First Things uh, magazine, is called our entire ruling class is it bears responsibility uh, for this debacle, and certainly our local media here in Minnesota, I think, uh, it can be put in that category. Just such scare headlines, and there's just never any good news, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. if that if the number of cases. Uh, seems to go down well then you know we're uh the, the, the surge is farther away but it's but it's coming and it's going to be worse. that kind mm-hmm. of thing where there's just but there's just an attempt to induce fear i think mm-hmm. here's here's a good example mm-hmm. i have a friend who watched the um the nfl draft yes on tv and and he said this should have been something to kind of distract people and help people understand that, you know, things will be better in the future. And mm-hmm. he said, no, what they did was pan the streets, the empty streets of yes. Las Vegas. I remember that. I was watching that. Coach, whoever from the, you know, my lack of sports knowledge, but, you know, New Orleans Saints, right? Had, and Sean he Payton. describes yes. himself as, yeah, one of the, like, one of the lucky survivors. And, yeah. uh, but, but most of all, um, my, my understanding is that there, there was no talk of courage. There was no talk that, you know, frankly, this is nothing compared to the Spanish flu or, mm-hmm. or cholera or, mm-hmm. um, tuberculosis mm-hmm. or polio or, or Ebola, kind of Ebola. <laughs> yeah. but I mean, the kinds of diseases our ancestors lived with, it, it takes courage. It, people need to say, you know, I'm going to do my best to avoid this and avoid giving it to others. But, you know, life has risks and we must, we must show some courage here. And my friend said, after watching all this, he turned to his 18 year old son and watched it with him. He said, now, if you hadn't known You've seen this six months ago. You hadn't known what America was going through. What would you think after you saw this NFL draft? And the son said, I would think there were a million dead in the street. Wow. That's right. oh. You know, that's, that's the kind that's of media-induced panic yeah. I think we're, we're seeing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Oh. 
Well, we only have uh, about a minute, a little over a minute here. So if you could quickly just answer for us, do you think it's possible um, to take prudent precautions without giving up our rights? Um, Yeah. I I mean, to the extent that we know here in Minnesota, we have a population uh, that is you know, median age 83 and uh, very likely in long-term care facilities, especially, and, and, and if you have one of the serious comorbidities, right. you know, real obesity or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, serious hypertension, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, you have a responsibility to protect yourself, not to ask the little, you know, hairstylist down the street to, to go bankrupt right. in order to <laughs> to try to protect you. So, yeah, I, I think exactly. this is a world of risks and yep. we need to be prudent and yep. everyone take responsibility for him or herself. Exactly. That's what this country is founded on, individual responsibilities and individual rights. And you said it very well. Thank you, Catherine Kirsten, for thank joining you, us these last two weeks. We so appreciate you. Take care and thank you, Mark. We appreciate you and I look forward to being with you again next week here. As always. All right. Education Nation. See you next week.